Thank you again for the opportunity uh, to be here, to worship with you, to witness these baptisms, and to share God's word. If you would turn to Psalm 96, Psalm 96 uh, this morning, we're going to look at this familiar psalm, I'm sure, to most of us, and we're going to think about a foundation or the foundation for missions and this work of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, getting this gospel to the least reached peoples on planet earth. And when we think about a foundation for missions, we probably would automatically go maybe to the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, or maybe we would go to the book of Acts, uh, Acts 1-8, as we see the church begin to explode and spread across Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the Great Commission has been around prior to the Gospels, prior to the book of Acts. It was given all the way back in Psalm 96, one of the many times it's reflected in the Old Testament. And I want us to just look at this psalm together, walk through this psalm together as we lay a foundation for missions and hopefully maybe clean the lens on our glasses that we view missions through or maybe put on some new glasses. I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe you need to put on some new lens to see the mission through or clean your lens and be reminded of what we or why we do what we do, both as goers and senders and all in between. So let's, let's pray together, and then we'll dig right into Psalm 96. Father God, we are humbled that it's your breath that's in our lungs that we breathe, that we sing with, that we speak with. May we be mindful that it's your breath that gives us our voice, and I pray here this morning, that it would be your breath that would speak, that your Holy Spirit would speak, that you would speak in spite of me, and God, that you would give us ears to hear your voice, eyes to see truths from your word, a mind to understand, a heart to love and embrace, and a will to obey here today. I would pray that you would work your will and have your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to see three things in Psalm 96. First of all, we're going to see the message of missions. The message of missions. The message of missions is obviously, in its simplest form, what you say, right? It's what you tell. There's a quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'm not 100% convinced he's responsible, but it's attributed to him nonetheless. And, and it goes like this. You may have heard this quote before. Preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary. Now, the reality is we understand what this quote is getting at. We understand what St. Francis of Assisi is saying. He's, he's saying your life should reflect the gospel. The way you live your life should reflect Christ. People should see the love of Christ. They should see the joy of Christ. They should experience Christ in a way through your lifestyle. And we agree with that and we understand that. But the reality is you can't preach the gospel without using words. No one is ever going to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because you are a good person. They have to hear a message. They have to understand a message, the message of missions. And in verse 1 of Psalm 96, the psalmist writes, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name 
proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. How does he begin this psalm? He begins this psalm with the reality that we are to be proclaiming or preaching or speaking what? Good tidings. What do we think of when we hear the word good tidings besides Christmas? Good news, right? And what is the good news of his salvation that the psalmist is referring to? It's proclaim the gospel, right? How are, we, how are we to do that? What are we to say? The psalmist is glad we asked. He says in verse 3, tell of his glory among the nations. What are we to tell? We're to tell of his glory among the nations. Notice that the psalmist doesn't start with tell them that God loves them. The psalmist doesn't start with tell them that they're sinners. The psalmist says tell them of His glory. We put the emphasis not on us. We put the emphasis not on them. We put the emphasis on our great God. And because we put the emphasis on our great God, we never ever run out of things to say. We can speak of this great God from now into eternity future and never run out of things to say about this God. This God is always present with us in the highs of life and the lows of life. This God knows everything that there is to know. All of the past, all of the present, all of the future, all of the possibilities. This God is sovereign and in complete control. He is unchanging. He is all-powerful and able to do all of His holy will. He is everlasting. He is holy. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is love. He is patient. He is forgiving. He is long-suffering. And we can just keep going and going and going right on through lunch, speaking of the greatness and the glory and the wonder and the worth of this great God. That is where the message of missions begins. With the spotlight not upon us, with the spotlight not upon the needs of a lost and dying world, but with the spotlight upon Him, upon our God. He says, tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. So we tell of who God is, And then we tell of what God has done. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Think of all of the wonderful deeds of God that are recorded from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. You could never have enough sermons to preach all of the goodness and greatness of the works of God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Just think about the great deeds of God in the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It would take more than a lifetime to preach the great deeds of God just found in the Gospels. Think about the great deeds of God in the book of Acts as the church expands throughout the world. Think about how God has worked in your life in a very personal way in your experience through His providences. There's so many things we can talk about that God has done. But there's one thing that God has done that stands out above all the other things God has ever done. You see, God became man. God took on flesh. He humbled Himself. Not counting equality with the Father, a thing to be grasped or a thing to be held on to, but He humbled Himself And he came to this earth born of a virgin. 
in a place called Bethlehem, placed in a manger to live the life that He requires us to live. What is the life that He requires us to live? It's not a life that's better than the deacons. It's not a life that's better than the folks that go to that church down the road. It's not a life that's better than your neighbor. It's not a life better than the hypocrites that you know. It is a life of absolute sinless perfection and holiness. That is the life God requires of us. A life that never steps out of line. A life that never breaks His law. A life that never has a simple thought enter its mind. A simple word upon its lips. A sinful feeling upon its heart. He's requiring us to live a perfect life. And that's the life he humbled himself to come live. He lived upon this earth and he perfectly fulfilled every facet of the Father's will. He never sinned. He never stepped out of line. He lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, God came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ not only to live a perfect, sinless, spotless, righteous life, but He came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ to take up on Himself our sin, our iniquity, our transgression, and the very judgment that they deserve by going to a cross. And being crucified upon that cross. And there on that cross, God the Father poured out upon our sin, upon Jesus, upon that cross, His judgment and His wrath until Jesus said what? It is finished. And He gave up His spirit. And He was buried in a barred tomb. But on Sunday morning, bodily, victorious, triumphant. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered Satan. He conquered the grave. He came out of the tomb alive so that this morning, if you are hearing this good news, if you are hearing this message, you can turn from your sin and you can put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you can be made right with God. You can take His righteousness and you can give Him your sin and you can be given peace with God. That's the greatest work that God has ever done and will ever do. His gospel. We tell of His glory. We tell of His work. And then if you drop down to verse 10, there's something else the psalmist commands us to say. We tell of His glory among the nations. We tell His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. In verse 10 it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Our God reigns. This is the message of missions. Who God is, what God has done, And that he rules and reigns forever and ever and ever. And this is the message that must be proclaimed. This is the message that must be told. Because how are they going to call on the name of the Lord if they do not believe? And how are they to believe if they don't hear? And how are they to hear if we don't speak? We speak the message of missions. That our God is worthy of worship and praise because of who he is and what he's done for us. And because he is going to reign forever and ever and ever. We not only see the message of missions, we also see the purpose of missions. If we read on in verses 4 through 6. It says, for great is the Lord. 
Notice that first phrase there. He's not finished. When you start a sentence with four, that means we're attaching it to what is before the four, right? So he's continuing a thought here. He's saying, you need to tell of God's glory. You need to tell of his wonderful deeds. Why do we need to tell these things, psalmist? Four are because great is the Lord. Because it's true, he is great. And he is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Why do we proclaim this message of missions? Because God is worthy of praise and God is worthy of fear and reverence above all the gods of the nations. Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He is worthy of fear. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of reverence. He is worthy of honor. And he is worthy of glory. And those who do not know him are not giving him the praise and the reverence that he deserves. Instead, they're giving it to idols. They're giving it to false gods. They're giving it to literally nothings. If you hold your place in Psalm 96 and would turn over to Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah gives us kind of a comical but really a sad picture of those who worship idols or false gods. In Isaiah 44, he first talks about the one who would fashion an idol or form an idol out of metal. And then... In verse 13, he begins with picturing the one who would form an idol out of wood. And for time's sake, we'll just look at the carpenter. No offense to blacksmiths in the room. In Isaiah 44, verse 13, it says, Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and he makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Now, what is Isaiah saying here? He's saying the man that forms idol an idol out of wood, he... The man takes a little sapling and he goes out into the forest and he digs a hole and he plants the tree and he covers the tree and he hopes to goodness that it rains so that the tree will grow. Then in verse 15, it becomes something for a man to burn. The tree grows and it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. But the rest of it... He makes into a God his graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me! 
for you are my God. Now think about this. This man took the tree, planted the tree, buried the tree, waited on the rains to grow the tree. He cuts the tree down. Part of the tree he uses to build a fire. He cooks over it. Part of the tree he decides he's going to form him an idol out of. He puts it in his house and he falls down and worships it and says, You're my God. Provide for me. Do you see how foolish this is? Do you see how silly this is? Do you see how ridiculous Isaiah is making the idolater and the one who makes the idols? What he's really saying is this man is worshiping a nothing. He could have as easily put the piece of wood he made the idol out of into the fire. And he could have easily as taken a piece of wood that he burned in the fire and made the idol out of it. This, this is a nothing that this man is worshiping. This is what the nations in Psalm 96 are giving God's glory to. They are giving God's glory to a bunch of nothings while splendor and majesty are before the one true God, while real glory is before the one true God, while real worth is before the one who created them. They're bowing down to nothings. The purpose of missions, hear me clearly, The purpose of missions is not just to get people out of hell and into heaven. The purpose of missions is not just to see a thriving church planted. The purpose of missions is to move people from giving glory and praise to nothings. Whether they're idols of wood or stone or the things that we like to give our our glory to. Like our jobs or our social media accounts or our entertainment choices or our sports teams or our hobbies or our should I keep going or our all these things that are going to burn up one day and be of no value whatsoever what we give our energy to what we give our glory to what we give our strength to often nothings the purpose of missions is to move people from giving glory and praise to nothings whatever those nothings are and lead them to give that glory and praise to the one true God who alone is worthy. John Piper said that the highest of missionary motive is neither obedience to the great commission important as that is nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing strong as that incentive is but rather zeal burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. The message of missions is that our God is worthy of praise and glory because of who He is, because of what He has done for us in the good news of Jesus Christ, and because of the reality that He reigns forevermore. And we need to move people, whether they are on this side of the globe or the other side of the globe, from worshiping nothings, whatever those nothings are, and lead them to give praise and honor and glory to the One who alone is worthy, and His name is Jesus. And what is the end of missions? In verse 7 through 10, we see that one end of missions is that all peoples worship. Verse 7, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Or worship the Lord in holy clothing. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. All 
people's worship. Not all people. Not all people. All people will not willingly and joyfully worship the king. People's will. Now, there's a difference in people and peoples. You may understand the difference. People are filling this room up right now. But there are many peoples that are likely represented in this room. There are many peoples that are represented in the Atlanta area. There's many peoples that are represented in the U.S., and there are certainly many peoples that are represented worldwide. Peoples represent people groups, nations, tongues, tribes, people who are distinct from one another due to their culture, due to their language, due to their interests. They, they're divided out into what we call people groups. And the psalmist is saying, all you people groups come and you come in holy attire and you ascribe to the Lord glory and praise and honor in your holy clothing. You worship him for his salvation. People from every nation, tongue and tribe ascribe glory to the Lord. They bring offerings and they worship him in holy attire. And the benefit that we have today that the psalmist didn't have when he wrote this psalm is that we can look forward in the Bible to the book of Revelation and see in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 that when John looked he saw a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. There they are. And what are they doing? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes in their holy attire. And they have palm branches in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're ascribing Him glory for He reigns. The end of missions is all people's worshiping. And I want you to know today that if the thought of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe gathering around the throne and worshiping doesn't get your uh, blood pressure up a little bit with excitement this morning, that there's something off. It's that passion that has really driven a lot of our ministry. I pastored for 25 years. And for the majority of that 25 years, the focus was on mobilizing people, mobilizing short-term teams, forming partnerships, and an effort to try to get the gospel to some of the least-reached peoples on the planet. Well, as Pastor Ken said last year, we began to feel exceptionally burdened that we no longer needed to be indirectly part of this effort, as important as that has been, and as beneficial as that has been, but we need to be more directly involved in this effort to see all people's worship. So I want to just take a short time out here and tell you a little bit about what we're doing now and how God has brought us from the pastor a year ago to where he has us now and what we're doing. I would say the work we're involved in is kind of like a triangle. We have three sides to our work. Uh, the, obviously, the foundation of that triangle is, is reaching and teaching. And as Pastor Ken mentioned, my, my job with reaching and teaching is to develop training sites throughout the Middle East, throughout North Africa for indigenous pastors who can't get seminary training, Bible college uh, on their own. So we come in and offer certificate level seminary training uh, for them uh, over a period of three years through short-term trips, short-term intensives. So that's a brand new work. Um, it started when I started, so I've been plowing for the past year, and now we're about to see, hopefully, we're about to see some seeds sown in that direction uh, just next month. So that's, that's one side of our reaching and teaching work. You don't know about this side yet. I'm going to flip the coin and tell you another side of our reaching and teaching work that looks highly likely. 
So on one side, I've, I've trained pastors in the Middle East and North Africa. On the flip side of that, reaching and teaching has been in conversation with us over the past month um, or so about me taking on a dual role and Mandy coming on staff. So I'm, I'm, she's, she's going to be working now, part-time from home, uh, to minister to and provide member care to the missionaries, the reaching and teaching missionaries throughout the Middle East and North Africa. So it's kind of a two-sided reaching and teaching job. One, I'm working with indigenous pastors. On the other side, Mandy and I are working to help uh, provide soul care to missionaries on the field throughout the Middle East and North Africa. So that's one side of the triangle. That's the foundation of the triangle. Uh, the second side of the triangle is because we're stateside-based and I travel back and forth, um, is we live in an area where there's some internationals that we get an opportunity to engage. Thankfully, the college there, kind of they called yesterday on the way up here, and they, they give us names of students. They give us uh, connections with students who come here from other countries, and we have an opportunity to meet with them. And I'll tell you, it's, it's an amazing thing when you're in the buckle of the Bible belt in Mississippi and you can have people in your home who don't know what Christmas is. They don't know what Easter is. They've never heard the gospel and they don't know much about who Jesus is. You don't ever have to get on a plane. You just have them to your home. And God is opening too many doors for us in that department. Uh, and then the third side of that triangle is I enjoy opportunities to go preach still. Um, at, at churches and just try to encourage them in their evangelism missions and discipling efforts. That's kind of how we've landed over this last year. I think that's a snapshot of our ministry. Foundations reaching and teaching. One side training facilitator for the Middle East North Africa. The other side is member care for the Middle East North Africa as a couple. And then the uh, second side is working with internationals locally who don't know Christ. And then third side is preaching still when people um, slip up and let me come preach. <laughs> <laughs> and we do that, our heart for that is because we want to get to the throne in Revelation 7 and look around and see people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe worshiping, and we want to be a part of that. Let's look further as we see another end of missions. It's not just all people's worship. This is amazing to me. In verses 11 and 12, all creation worships. Let the heavens be glad, he says in verse 11. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. And that just sounds weird. I've never heard a tree sing. I've never heard heaven sing. I've never heard a field sing. I definitely haven't heard anything sing praise to God necessarily. So this just seems interesting. Is this symbolic? And I would say no. Jesus said that the rocks would even cry out if they needed to. And if you fast forward again to Revelation chapter 5, just let's just look real quick. Let me look at my time. Oh, I'm good. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 4, John sees a vision of the Father on a throne shining like a diamond surrounded by an emerald rainbow. There's seven torches of fire burning in front of that throne, reflecting off of the crystal sea like glass. 
There's thunders and rumblings and whisperings coming from the throne. There's four creatures gathered around that throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's 24 elders who are worshiping and they're throwing their crowns at the feet of this God on the throne. And then in Revelation 5, we see that in the hand of the one sitting upon the throne, there was a scroll. It was sealed with seven seals. And they're saying, who's worthy to open this scroll up? No angel steps forward. No saint in heaven steps forward. None of the beasts, as amazing as they are, step forward. None of the elders step forward. No one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth steps forward. And John begins to weep because there's no one worthy to take the scroll from the hand of him who sits upon the throne. And one of the elders says, John, stop your weeping. There is one who is worthy. Look. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And John looks for the lion and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb before the throne. And we know the lamb is the lion. And he takes the scroll from the hand of the one upon the throne. And all attention turns to him. I like to use this with Muslims who say Jesus isn't God. I'm like, everybody just had all the attention on this throne. And now Jesus enters the room, and all the attention from the elders, from the beasts, from the angels, turns to who? Jesus. If he's not God, we've got a problem. And in Revelation 5 and verse 11, John says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then verse 13, every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying something. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. I want to propose to you that on the final day, the birds of the heavens will sing his praise. The fish of the sea will surface to sing his praise. The earthworms will surface to sing his praise. The bears in the field, the beasts in the field will sing his praise. Romans says that all creation has been groaning. Why does creation groan? Because man sinned and we brought creation down with us. Unwillingly, they came down with us. Innocently, they came down with us. And now they suffer the consequences of our sin. But when Christ returns and everything is consummated at the end, creation will be released from the curse and they will sing His praise. The peoples will praise. Creation will praise. And then lastly, Even those who face judgment will glorify him. Verse 13, before the Lord, for he is coming. I know we lull ourselves to sleep. We lull ourselves to sleep with our constant noise. We have earbuds in, constantly listening. Or we have a phone in our face constantly scrolling. Or we have a television on in our living room constantly watching. Or we have people around us constantly talking 
and demanding something else. But we just need to break out of this 21st century crazy culture we find ourselves in, this media-saturated culture, and just stop and think that the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. We've been lulled to sleep. We smirk. We think He'll tarry. But the Lord is coming. And He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. Mandy and I, before we moved to Tennessee, would go to the abortion mill in Jackson and try to talk with people before they went in. And I can't tell you how many times someone would look at me and say, only God can judge me. And I just would say, and you find comfort in that? He is coming to judge. And listen, we, we cry for justice. We don't, we don't want justice right now. We need mercy. We need grace. We don't need to see the lion of the tribe of Judah right now. We need the lamb that John saw, right? But there's coming a day when there will be no more grace and there will be no more mercy and He will come to judge in righteousness. And the peoples will be judged in His faithfulness. Christ is coming to judge the world and those on His right hand will enter into His peace. And those on His left will enter into destruction. But listen carefully. All of those will give Him glory. Those on His right who enter peace will give Him glory. Those on His left who enter destruction will give Him glory. Because we said earlier that He humbled Himself, took on the form of a servant, was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And because of this, God also has highly exalted Him so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can this morning bow your knee joyfully and humbly in repentance and in faith and find peace with God and give Him glory or you can continue to shun the grace of God. You can continue to disbelieve the good news of the message of God and when you die and stand before Him or when He comes to judge this earth in righteousness, you will still bow the knee and you will still confess that He is Lord before you enter into destruction. But our God will be glorified. This is a foundation for all that we do. The message, our God is worthy because of who He is, what He's done, and because He rules and reigns forever and ever. Why? Why? What's the purpose? What's the point? We need to take people from giving their best to nothings and lead them to give their best to the one who is worthy. Looking forward to the day when people from every nation, tongue, and tribe will joyfully worship. All creation will worship. And even at the judgment, our God will be glorified and righteous. What about you? Do you know him this morning? Does he know you this morning? Have you ever really heard and understood 
and believed the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he came to live the perfect life God requires of you and to die the death that your sin deserves, to conquer the grave so that if you would turn away from your selfishness, your sin, your old affections, your old attitudes, your old actions, your own self-righteousness, and turn to God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that you can be saved. Have you ever believed that and embraced that this morning? Give Him glory with joy and humility now. Don't wait until it's too late. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for the gospel. We thank you for this psalm that lays for us a foundation of missions. That we should be talking about you and your glory and your goodness and your greatness. And we should be leading people to give you that glory that you deserve. As we look forward to the day when we will worship you. And give you honor and glory for all eternity. God, we pray this morning that you have taken these weak words and that you would use them to penetrate hearts in spite of me, in spite of us this morning. That you would stir us to love you. That you would stir us to love your word and that you would stir us to love your kingdom work in this world. And that God, you would bring us into a closer relationship with you today. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.